and welcome back to The Why Behind the Buy, a podcast for marketers focused on finding and targeting their ideal customers at scale. I'm your host, Monique Ruiz, and today we're discussing marketing attribution and measurement. There are a number of ways your customers or prospective customers can interact with your company or brand. How can you identify those ways accurately? And when you do, how do you measure success or attribute a sale to the correct department in your company or with the right channels to know where you're doing well and with what or whom and where you need to improve? Today in the studio with me is Jeff Bickle. He heads the customer success group here at Claritas. What does that mean? Well, his team focuses on all aspects of deliverables to our customers, plus ensuring our customer communications are strong and satisfaction is high. We'll also have a special guest joining us a little later in the episode, CEO of Rapify, James Heller. But for now, Jeff, welcome. This is your first time joining me on the Why Behind the Buy. It is my first time, Monique. Great to be here. So, Jeff, I just mentioned that there's countless ways to assess the value of your marketing efforts. And if we went into depth on all of them, we'd probably be here all day. So I want to focus on just a few. One that receives a lot of attention is multi-touch attribution, or MTA, as it's often referred to. And while MTA has been around for a while, there's still plenty of questions about what can be a complex process. And before we get too deep, let's start with the basics. What is multi-touch attribution and why would a company be interested in that model? Sure. MTA is a system of statistical models used to track a series of touch points through the customer journey and to assign revenue credit to those touch points. It's a way to create a stream of data that informs marketing decisions like how a budget is allocated uh, and how strategy is formed. It's a significant step up from first or last touch attribution that gives all credit to one of those two touch points only. Well, I mean, that sounds great to me. Isn't that what companies need? A marketing strategy that centers the entire organization around refining revenue generation? Or are there things MTA can't easily account for? MTA is a great measurement tool. Uh, It helps marketers get a handle on how individual elements work together and guides investment, but there are definitely some things that are easier to measure than others with this technique. As a rule, online is the easiest for MTA to handle, and offline can be a bit more challenging. So syncing all of the campaign elements or touch points is really where the hard work of MTA comes in. Okay, so I'll concede MTA isn't magic, but what can marketers do to get the most out of MTA and ensure accurate attribution? The starting point for success with MTA and really with any measurement is data. To get the most out of this tool, you need to have clean, detailed exposure and response data for all of your marketing elements. So for example, I would need to know that you saw a specific display ad on a certain day and time, and also that you visited my site at a certain day and time, that you clicked on elements within the site, you received an email from me, a direct mail piece perhaps, and ultimately, if you purchased my product. More information means more points to integrate and to handle correctly. To fully leverage MTA for financial decisioning and for budgeting, you'll additionally need the cost information for each element as well. So in a nutshell, the broader the campaign, the more complex the analysis becomes, right? Exactly. Okay. So how are marketers supposed to get all of the data that they need to for MTA? 
It's a great question. Um, one of the tools that really can help marketers with the data required for MTA is an identity graph. This is probably something that's brand new to some listeners or a concept their company is just starting to wrap their heads around. Mm -hmm. So let me explain a little bit about what an identity graph is. In simple terms, an identity graph is an online database that houses data related to an individual customer. Uh, it links available information about consumers with their exposure to marketing elements and their on and offline behavior. Identity graphs store things like personal data to anonymous data, like behaviors measured with cookies, device IDs, browsing history, etc. Interesting. So this is starting to spark a lot of questions for me now. How do identity graphs make a marketer's life easier? That sheer amount of data that they store is one thing, but how does it all actually work? Yeah, the, the key benefit of an identity graph is enabling efficient omnichannel marketing and for measuring the same. When I know that certain consumers have seen specific messages for my brand and how they respond, I can make sure that I serve them the right messaging through the right channel and that I don't overlap without intending to. The information within the identity graph is vital for MTA as well. Without it, you just don't get the full picture. So let me ask you one more question and then we're going to go into a quick commercial break. And something this is something that's been a huge topic. Well, always, but especially so in recent times, and that's privacy. Are there any privacy concerns around identity graphs? Or maybe a better question, is there a reason to be hesitant to use them, especially in industries that have extremely strict rules or regulations like financial services, for example? Any discussion of consumer data has to reference privacy. Mm -hmm. The data in an identity graph has to be sourced responsibly and in accordance with privacy standards. As long as the rules are followed, identity graphs can be utilized by any industry, including financial services. But really, marketers have to do their homework and know that they're working with clean data. That's a fair point. And privacy for Claritas, at least, is always top of mind. So, And we've done a few blog articles on our website that you can check out at home, those of you that are listening. And if you're a loyal listener of our podcast, you'll know that we've touched on the subject in several episodes already. But I'll tell you what, though, we're going to take a quick commercial break now. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by our guest, James Heller of Rapify. So stick with us. Multi-touch attribution, identity graph, oh my. Are you feeling overwhelmed by the details of understanding how consumers respond to your marketing? It's okay. We can help. Claritas is a closed-loop marketing services company, and we've developed a simple three-step process to help you. First, we help you identify who your best customers are. Then, we help you deliver your message and media to them. Finally, we work to optimize that through measurement. Now, wait a minute. What if you're only interested in identifying your best customers and you don't need assistance with delivery or optimization? Or what if you know your best customers but can't seem to get those last two steps sorted out? Again, it's okay. We can help. Visit our website at www.claritas.com or give us a call at 800-234-5973. No other company in our industry can see what we see or do what we do quite the way we do it. We're back and now we're joined by our guest, James Heller, CEO of Rapify. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being a guest on the Why Behind the Buy today. 
Let's start off with you giving our listeners a quick rundown of what Rapify is all about and how you came up with the concept. Sure. So Rapify is an omni-channel ad platform and it's powered by the gig economy, out-of-home advertising, and our ability to connect this really high recall out of home with digital attribution. And Rapify as a concept started right at the beginnings of the gig economy taking off. Brands like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb, I, I couldn't help but to think, why isn't there an advertising component? We launched in 2015, uh, we raised some venture capital, we got into Jason Calacanis' launch incubator, and the rest is history. Very cool. Jeff and I are excited to get your point of view and hear about your experiences in the industry. So I want to jump in straight away with you. Uh, we've been having a discussion previously on assessing the value of marketing. And we've been specifically talking about multi-touch attribution and identity graphs, which I'm sure you know all about. Uh, I'm curious, though, what types of models or tools or devices have you used in the past to kind of understand who to market to, how to measure success, and how that works with your advertising efforts? That's a great question. I mean, I think just inside of what we provided our Rapify clients, the attribution has become the focal point. And before, you know, before when we first launched, we launched with being able to measure a moving out of home object, in this case, wrapped vehicles. And that's really what put us on the map. But what we ended up learning is brands didn't care as much about quantifying how many people saw it. And more, they became more concerned and more focused on learning what that exposure actually did in terms of driving conversion on a website, driving foot traffic into a retail location, or even right. you know driving in-app activity. So, I mean, th the short answer is we didn't provide attribution, and, and attribution in out of home is a pretty new thing. Yeah, I. I definitely agree there. And has there been kind of an advantage or disadvantage to not providing attribution versus providing it to you that you've seen in your experience? Uh, well, I think the advantage, the advantage of having attribution is, is key in, in being able to get brand clients and clients that are bucketing Rapify into more of a performance driven mm -hmm. program and less of a brand program. So, for instance, you know, before we launched our attribution suite, we uh, we were seen as a brand marketing top of the funnel marketing tool. And now Rapify is kind of looked at as a upper mid funnel, more performance driven ad platform. OK. And, and that's and, and now we're seeing brands leverage Rapify by pulling from their digital bucket. Of you know, not necessarily bucketing us into out of home per se, because we live in that intersection between out of home and digital. Right. So you and I spoke. We've had some conversations before, and we spoke a couple weeks ago when we were coordinating you as a guest for today's episode. And you mentioned something that you've run into quite a bit since you've launched Rapify. And some companies actually don't believe that online to offline or maybe vice versa measurement is actually possible. They think it's impossible, but your company is actually living proof that that's not entirely true. So why do you think marketers are under this assumption in the first place? And do you think there's, there's anything that can be done to kind of dispel that myth? An amazing question. I think first off, you know, Rapify's value prop is more concerned on that offline to online, mm -hmm. which is kind of the reverse of what a lot of other ad platforms are promising from an attribution standpoint. So it's nascent. 
And because it's nascent, it creates a landscape that's very limited. So it's really on us to, to drive that message forward. So while brands haven't really heard of, of being able to do this, it's unheard of. Technically, I mean, by if you looked at if you look at it from a pure, you know, how many other people are shouting this from the rooftops, right. you know, Rapify is one of the only ad platforms that really is focused on that offline to online measurement, especially for something that moves in the out of home right. space. And I know that a lot of companies in general are using third-party data providers for their businesses to help them grow. And Rapify, I'm sure you guys have used that before too. So how do you assess maybe the accuracy or the usefulness of data when you're deciding to work with a third-party provider? Do you have any top evaluating questions that you might ask to determine if they're the right partner for you to move forward with? Sure. I think first is being able to peel back their methodology Also, I mean, garbage in, garbage out, same thing goes for data. So if you're, you know, one of the first things that we look at when we're evaluating the partners that are providing us with the location data or the the mobile ad IDs that we use for powering our attribution suite, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, we want to make sure that it is deterministic and not probabilistic. And the difference between those two deterministic, we know this device or this mobile ad ID was at this location at this time versus this device ID might have been at this location at this or probably was at this location at this time. I think that's one thing that a lot of the different providers that do provide attribution services when they look at when you look at the the data that they're leaning on to provide that when you hear the when you hear the word probabilistic it, it, to me that immediately immediately means okay probably not a provider we want to align with or work with. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> All right, so I have just one more question for you today, but uh, the window of opportunity that's available to marketers looking to reach consumers, it's open wider than ever before. And obviously, Rapify, you're doing something that's unique out there yourselves. Can you share with our listeners some of the success Rapify has seen or provided brands with your unique type of advertising opportunity that you offer? Definitely. Well, because attribution has become the the reason for why brands leverage Rapify, we tout the success quite a bit. Uh, and, and there's three primary buckets we focus on today. The first is our ability to measure an online interaction as a result of Rapify exposure. So the out-of-home exposure that Rapify creates, what did that actually do in terms of affecting a conversion on a website website visitation. We do the same thing for in-app. So being able to measure post back from a from an app via an integration we have with AppsFlyer and Kochava. Okay. And then we also measure foot traffic and being able to see what that ex- out-of-home exposure actually did in terms of driving foot traffic into a retail environment, an event center, etc. So Going back to your your initial question, the ability to show brands this is how Rapify is being used, and here's what the attribution data looks like when they when they use it, that becomes very critical in the sales process. It's it's why brands leverage us. Is in in fact it's it's defocused 
the the vehicle wrapping component of what we do, which is which is what right. we want, right? Brands don't leverage us because we wrap cars. They leverage us because we're able to get a really, really high recall out of home impression delivered where they want it, when they want it, and then be able to measure what that out of home exposure actually did in terms of driving attribution. And Claritas is is the the data partner that helps us do that. Very cool. I love to hear a success story, especially when Claritas is involved in that. <laughs> so, James, thank you. You've provided a ton of food for thought for today. Uh, you know, it was a quick conversation, but I want to thank you for joining us. And before we actually let you go, where can folks listening at home find out more about Rapify, whether they want to become a driver or maybe they're a brand or an agency looking to advertise with you? Well, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, if you want to learn more about becoming a brand or an agency that leverages the Rapify platform, go to rapify.com slash brands. If you're interested in becoming a driver, one of the, the 200,000 plus drivers that are on the road with us nationwide, go to the app store, download the Rapify app. Or if you're an Android user, go to the Google Play store and download the Rapify app. And I really appreciate uh, you including us in the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, you're welcome back anytime. We appreciate it. Thank you. So, Jeff, now that it's just you and I again, James answered a question about some evaluating questions he might ask to determine if uh, he's choosing the right partner for his business or what he would suggest other companies do or ask to choose the right data provider for a company. I want to know your opinion. What do you think are some questions to ask before choosing an identity graph partner? Sure. And one of the, one of the first ones is something that we discussed before the break, and that's privacy and responsibly sourced data. So that's first and foremost on my list is to understand where the partner that I'm working with is sourcing that data, if they have proper permission to use that data, and that they are securing it all while it's within their identity graph. So I don't want to have a partner who is loose or who risks a data breach or you know anything that would reflect badly on on my business or on my clients' businesses. Right. So that first and foremost, um, also key questions should be, what's the scale of the data in the identity graph? Um, and there's, there's something of a balancing act to do on identity graphs. The tendency is as you grow scale, you tend to lose some accuracy. So you want to have the most accurate and the greatest scale. And those those are forces that kind of are at odds with each other. For, for our identity graph, just specifically as an example, we are 100% focused on accuracy, and we believe that accuracy trumps scale. So I'd rather have accuracy and let scale come versus force scale and not be certain about the accuracy. Okay. An important factor for choosing an identity graph partner is understanding their ability to relate online and offline. One of the things we spoke about at the top of the broadcast here was that online is where multi-touch attribution really got its start. And in a self-contained online marketing campaign and a, um, and a marketing system, if you will, it's, it's easier to get all the parts together. But that tends to be a relatively rare type of marketing these days. If you're thinking about omni-channel, which means online and off, as James was talking about wrapped cars, and there are all kinds of platforms out there to consider. Your identity graph has to be able to work with the channels that you're in 
and really encompass both online and off. That's, that's a critical factor for me as I think about what identity graphs can and should be. Yeah, I think this whole topic has been an interesting one and different from some of the other conversations that I've had on this podcast. In a lot of cases, I don't really see a lot of companies outwardly disclosing what they use to get ahead in the business, You know, like using a, a third-party provider for data or using someone's uh, identity graph, for example. And I get it. No one really wants to give away their trade secrets or maybe be viewed as not being able to do it all themselves when that's the message that they sell to their customers. But how do we grow as an industry if everyone's secretive about what they're doing? Are there any missteps you can think of, Jeff, that we can learn from? I, I think James was pretty open about Rapify's success using our identity graph, which is great. But what about some learning lessons? Yeah, James is a great example of uh, success in using an identity graph. I wish all cases were like that, but I can think of a few missteps that are possible. Um, one is to quote a friend of mine, letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. So holding out and saying we must do multi-touch attribution, that's the only thing we can use for evaluation. As we've talked throughout this, this episode, when you get into multi-touch attribution, that can be really complex. And if you don't have access to all the data that you need for multi-touch, you should not skip measurement because you didn't have all that data. Measure what you can. You can measure in portions, you can measure individual elements. And when you get the data that's available, great, move on to multi-touch. But I think some marketers have heard so much about multi-touch, they feel like it's the only way that they can go. Right. And I would encourage people to start small, measure what, you, what you're able to, and continue to build. So don't feel like you must jump all the way to bright with multi-touch. That said, when you, know, when you can get to really full multi-touch attribution, the advice I would offer is do your homework and do your preparation. Make sure that all the data is synced up and that you really have everything in hand before you start. It's a lot easier to do that preparation work than it is to realize midway through a process that you left something out or to, you know, worst case scenario, get all the way to the end on results and then have to go back and restate. So making sure that you have a full list of necessary data points and you've really considered what your objectives are for the analysis, do those things first and then get into the modeling that multi-touch is really all about. That's good advice. And I think I mentioned we could be here all day on this topic, but <laughs> but I think we're going to end the conversation here for now. But can I maybe ask you back for a future episode to continue on this topic or maybe a similar one? Sure. I'd love to get back on. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining me today. Glad to be here, Monique. Thanks again. And of course, thanks to James Heller from Rapify. But a special thanks goes to you at home for subscribing to The Why Behind the Buy, downloading our episodes, rating us five stars, and sharing with a friend or colleague. We appreciate the support. And while you wait for next month's episode, you can find more about us at claritas.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>